we continue reaching out to other folks and, and so grateful for their ministry in, in so many different ways. Uh, before we hop into uh, the message today, there are a few things that I need to, to draw to your attention. Uh, two of them are very exciting. Chris Parks, happy birthday. Uh, the Bacons, happy 35th anniversary to both of you. And that, so we're very happy about that. That's a good thing. And then, uh, and then some not so uh, fun news to share with you. Uh, Shirley Hansen, who is, I call her a matriarch of this church. Uh, Shirley Hansen went to be with the Lord this morning. And, uh, and so we, uh, the impact that she has had on this church has been phenomenal. Uh, Streets of Bethlehem was, was started with, with Shirley and uh, not only Shirley, but her entire family and, and the impact they've had here has been just absolutely ginormous. And, uh, and so we'll keep you posted as far as service coming up and, and things like that. But uh, just know that you guys, and they're in the back row there, you guys are in our prayers for sure. Okay, so we'll continue doing that very thing. All right, so when you hear the word adventure, Different ideas come to mind. Different ideas, an adventure of, of for some, it's, a, it's hiking a particular trail that, uh, that you absolutely enjoy, and, and that's, that's adventurous. For some, it involves a long-distance road trip. And uh, for me, I, I just want to make a quick caveat about long-distance road trips and eating. Um, I think for every mile that the road trip goes, it counts as you can consume upwards of 10 calories per that mile. So if you're on a 700-mile road trip, you can consume 7,000 calories. And here's the best thing about it. They don't count because you're moving, right? So you're moving, all right? So, so there's an adventure involved with, with that. And then, and then also there's an adventure simply in life. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. And right now the adventure for Shirley Hansen is one of endless praise of our loving Father which is phenomenal. The Israelites come to this place where they are about to embark or continue in this adventure of, of following after God. And, and what ends up happening in their lives is, is that they are never the same. This morning, we are going to look at quite a bit of, of we're going to make some serious headway in this, in, this, in this book, Joshua. And we're going to go all the way from chapter 3 all the way through 6. Those of you who participate in, uh, in the Thursday night Bible study I do over Luke, you're going, why can't we do Luke this way? You know, um, but, uh, but we're going to go over this, and, and there are different elements that we're going to touch on through this. And the reason why we're covering that many chapters in, in, in one message is because it all revolves around one thing, which is the fall of Jericho. The, the, the experiences that they have leading up to Jericho and conquering Jericho. And, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing that's going on here. But the gist and the theme of what they experience is found in chapter 3. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. And if you're looking in uh, the, the Pew Bibles, the, the Bibles in the rack in front of you, it's on page 179. Scroll there on your smartphone and uh, we're going to get going here. So here we go. Starting at verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go and get this next part. Since you have never been this way before. 
But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we can see you in the midst of the adventure. That you would open our ears so that we can hear your voice as we continue on in the adventure of life. That you would open our minds in such a way that we can understand that peace that surpasses all understanding when we hit barriers and and hurdles along the adventure. And that you would open our hearts in such a way that we would be transformed as we continue living through the adventure of life, knowing that your grace is there to carry us through. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And that you, Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, the great guide, our Savior, our Lord, we ask that you would be the one who receives all glory. And we thank you for living out the greatest adventure and giving us life. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to go back to verse 4. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. It's part of an adventure. You've never been this way before. It's something new. And anytime adventure comes into play, it means movement. And notice that the people are told, you need, to, you need to be ready to go. You need to be ready to move. But the first thing that they're told is this. And you, we pick it up here. It, they set out. They went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And notice this. They stay there for three days. They stay there for three days. And, and upon, the, upon the shore of the Jordan River, they're looking out and they're seeing this, this amazing thing. Where in a few verses, we read that, that it's at flood stage. And at flood stage, the Jordan was approximately half a mile in, in width at this, at this time. But they're at the water's edge. And water is a powerful, powerful force. Nothing stays the same. And I'm not simply talking about water carving into the land or anything like that. I'm talking about when people see water, when they observe water, something happens. The other day, Don and I took a walk along the ocean out in Marina. And I, I cannot, I've never been at a place where in life where I sit there and say, the ocean, it's no big deal. The power, the majesticness of the majesty of, of, the, of the ocean and to hear those waves crashing on the, on the shore, it does something. And throughout Scripture, water does something to people as well. Noah and his family were not the same after the flood. John the Baptist, after he baptizes Jesus Christ, he witnesses the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus like a dove. This morning, as we witness the baptisms of Abigail and Isabel, each of us were moved because of a faith that these two young girls, young girls have. And by the way, you didn't hear this, but after the baptism, Abigail said this to Lorraine. She said, this is the happiest day of my life. That's what happens. Talk to anyone who surfs about water, and there you have a deep respect for life, knowing what can happen if things go awry. But water is powerful. Nothing stays the same. And for these people, they're sitting there 
on the shore of the Jordan River looking at this massive movement of water. And in the midst of it, they're told, stay, keep a distance when you see the ark come into play. Keep a distance. Look at verse 4. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. 2,000 cubits is, is the equivalent of about three football fields in length. And they're to keep a distance, and here's the reason why, is because they need to realize this movement, this adventure they're on, isn't about them per se, it's about God. And as we take a larger view, as we get a bigger view in mind, we're able to see God at work in our lives. As we move through life and we go through from one day to the next, so often we get so caught up in the details that we forget to take a step back a large step back to see the way God's working. And what's interesting here in chapter 3, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned nine times. Nine times. The reason why is because the focus isn't on the people. Yes, we tend to look at the people. But what God is saying is, and, and because the Ark of the Covenant is his presence, it's, it's, it's symbolic of his presence, it's his actual presence with them, and what he's saying is, what, what, what the writer is saying is, keep your eyes on the presence of God. You keep a distance here and you look and see and you respond to him and you, you go with him because he's the one who's leading you in. Leading you into the promised land. And then we pick it up and notice what happens what, what, what ends up happening in verse 16, it says this. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood, at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It's believed that where the, the Israelites were crossing, believed that it was 19 miles upstream from Jericho. Jericho had this abundant water supply, but all of a sudden the water supply stops. Jericho is now on alert. Imagine all of a sudden this very, and, and, and water is so vitally important. You're out taking care of your crops and all of a sudden the water stops. God is on the move, and God does some great things. And so we pick it up, and we continue on. It says this, look at verse 4. Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed. Chapter 4, verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each side, and said to them, Go over before the ark of Yahweh your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve, and notice this, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. As we move, we need to remember who was with us. What God tells the Israelites is this, is that, listen, I know you guys have memory issues. I know that you have short-term memory issues. You're going to forget how great I am, 
And so what I want to do is I want to set up a memorial so you remember where I was, where you were, and where I was as we made this move. There are moments in our lives where all of a sudden God seems a lot more real. All of us have had them. It could be at a camp, it could be at a retreat, it could be in some, some crisis, and, and, and in the middle of that crisis, all of a sudden there's this incredible peace that comes over you. It could be in the midst of great joy of holding a newborn or celebrating, celebrating a, a wedding, whatever the case may be. Moments where God, you, you, you have this understanding that God is so much there. Those moments we need to remember. Because there are other times in our lives when we wonder, is God really there? Is He with us? All of us here this morning have ideas where we, not just ideas, but we have memories where we encountered once again this amazing God where we were 100% sure He was right there with us. The psalmist talks about remembering that God is with us. Talks about that all the time. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've forgotten that God is with you. Perhaps you're here this morning wondering, where is He? I invite you to remember back to those times when you knew He was there. That same God that was there is here with you now. We continue on. Adventure means movement, but it also leads to a response. Leads to response, and and the response has to happen as we go through this because you've never been this way before. Every place that they're going right now, they've never been before. And what fascinates me, and we pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 4, now the priest who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything Yahweh had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of Yahweh, and the priest came to the other side while while the people watched. So we'll stop there for a moment. Here's what's fascinating to me. What's fascinating to me is throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites have a bad reputation of, of disobe- they have a reputation of disobeying God all the time. But in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, over and over and over again, we hear these words, they were fully committed. They followed after. The people are fully engaged with God. It's amazing to me. That this group of people right now at this moment, at this juncture in their history, are so in tune with God, they're not asking questions. They're simply saying, we trust you. We're going to keep moving on. How engaged are you with God in your life? When he asks you to do something, is it, re- is it received with, yeah, I'm not quite sure about this. You're going to have to lay this out a little bit better. Or is it received with, there's no way on earth I'm doing this. These people were fully engaged with him. As God leads on the adventure and the adventure of our lives, we have to make some type of a response. We're either going to respond affirmatively to him or we're going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. You've never been this way before. He's there to lead us into places that, that we had never been before. And then something happens, and we pick it up in verse 14. That day Yahweh exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life. 
just as they had stood in awe of Moses. We talked about this a few weeks ago. These are the children of the parents that disobeyed Moses. These are the people that we're talking about. They stood in awe of Moses. They stood in awe of Joshua. I got to tell you, it'd be nice if people stood in awe of me. It doesn't happen very often. But my point is, and I'm just joking when I say that, people were seeing the work of God in Joshua's life. Think about this for a moment. They were seeing God at work in Joshua's life. They couldn't help but be amazed by it. What does it look like when people see God at work in your life? What does that look like? I have a few examples. There's joy in your life even when things aren't going great. There's generosity in your life even when things are incredibly tight. There's forgiveness in your life even when people around you are telling you that you should hold a grudge and get even with that individual. There's a consistent concern for other people in your life. On and on and on that list goes. But when God is at work in your life, people can see it. They see him on the move. They see him doing amazing things. And that's what happens with Joshua. They're they're looking at him, realizing God is doing something great. Because keep in mind, Joshua was commanded in Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. The reason why is because he was weak and afraid. And all of a sudden they see this weak and afraid individual being strong and courageous. And they conclude there is no other way this could be happening then God himself involved in Joshua's life. They stood in awe of what God was doing there. So they not only stood in awe of God moving there, but then we pick it up and I invite you to leap all the way to chapter 5 now. Because when God moves, not only do God's people stand in awe of what's going on in a person's life, but enemies see it as well. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how Yahweh had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. When God moves, even his enemies tremble. When God moves, there is no escaping a response. Remember, it's God taking care of them. It's God being presented. It's the Ark of the Covenant that, that, that is representing God's presence. And, that's, and He's the one who's receiving our glory. Yes, these, these uh, Canaanite kings and the Amorites are petrified of the Israelites, but they're melting in fear, not because of the Israelites, but because of the God of the Israelites. And that leads us to this other part. Adventures involve movement. Adventures involve a response. And also adventures can be very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Because we've never been this way before. We pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 5. And I think you'll understand what I'm saying as far as uncomfortable goes here. At that time, Yahweh said to Joshua... Make flint flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Herathoth. 
let's just break it down. Circumcision is not a painless experience for anyone. And so there's this movement and this adventure where now as they keep taking steps in the adventure, they now come to a place where it's uncomfortable. You've never been this way before. It can get uncomfortable. And there are a variety of support groups out there. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. There's Narcotics Anonymous. There's Gamblers Anonymous. There's all types of different anonymouses out there. But I would like to propose a new one with the initials CA, meaning this, Comfortable Anonymous. We are addicted to comfort. We are. This country is is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Don't get me wrong. But in the process of going to a place where we've never been before in the adventure of following after God, there are going to be times when we get uncomfortable. And what saddens me about talking, and, and, I, and I look at my own life as well, so I'm not simply simply pointing the finger. I'm talking about myself as well. What's happened, to me, what's happened in my life when it comes to comfort, and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, but there's something wrong when being comfortable has replaced being available to the Lord's leadership in our lives. There's something wrong when our desire for comfort overshadows our obedience to God. And that's what happens. I could see the first comfortable anonymous meeting going this way. Hello, I'm John Bosick. I'm addicted to comfort. And it would be a room full of people that would say pretty much the same thing. We avoid being uncomfortable at almost all costs. Now hear me on this. I'm not saying be foolish and just go and, and, and just be, you know, be uncomfortable foolishly. What I'm saying is as God works in our lives in, our, in, our, in the adventure of following him, there are going to be times when it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable forgiving someone who's hurt you deeply. It's uncomfortable in so many different ways in our lives. And this is what occurred to me as I was working on the message this week is this, is that, is that when, we, when we decide that comfort is more important than obedience, because what he's calling us to do is to be uncomfortable, what ends up happening is this, is that we doubt God's goodness to us. We doubt that he's good. We think that he's going to take us into this situation that we've never been in before and just leave us alone and say, deal with it. That's not the way God operates. If we truly believe the Lord is always good, if we truly believe the Lord is with us every step of the way, if we truly believe the Lord gives us strength when we feel weak, if we truly believe the Lord always has our best interests in mind, then why do we sacrifice following him even though it could be uncomfortable? Why? If we believe these things to be true, that he's good, he's not going to abandon us, why then in the midst of him calling us to move us forward when we're going to be uncomfortable, why then do we say, yeah, I'm not going to go that route? These Israelite men, 
had been through the wilderness. They had been through the wilderness and they had not had the time to, to get circumcised. And so they get circumcised here. And, and just on a lighthearted note, I find one of the most accurate health assessments in all of Scripture in chapter 5, verse 8. Look at what it says here. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. I take great comfort in that. The Bible doesn't avoid talking about uncomfortable things, but the deal is is that they can't do anything now as they're getting ready to go into Jericho. They're not going to go forward until they're healed. As you and I encounter things in our lives, taking the next step in the adventure with the Lord is uncomfortable. I want you to know that. And I don't know what the next step for you in the adventure of following after the Lord is. I don't know what that is for you, but I'm going to throw up a few, I'm going to put a few things up there in front of you that perhaps these are some things that you're dealing with. Perhaps for you, it's the next step is God's calling you to be praying more. The entire idea, though, of praying leaves you trembling. You don't know what to do about it. And so you don't, you've heard that it's simply starting a conversation with the Lord, but you find yourself incredibly uncomfortable. If that's where God's leading you, the way that you deal with it is by, you simply start praying. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Well, take comfort in this. Romans chapter 8 tells you, none of us know how to do it. But we simply pray. Perhaps it's spending time in God's word, but you don't know where to begin. God's Word is 66 books. It's all over the place. You don't know where to begin. Perhaps you can take this, 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 this idea. Start with the book of Mark. Read a chapter of Mark a day. Write down questions as they come up. And, if, and, 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 and don't be afraid to ask for help. We have spiritual formation classes that do a great job. Attend a class. Perhaps God's calling you to be authentic. As a matter of fact, you can't remember right now, you cannot remember the last time in your life when you were honest about what was going on in your life. You show up here on a Sunday morning, people say, how are you doing? You say, I'm fine, when you're not. You don't know what it's like to be authentic anymore. You don't remember a time where you can be real. Perhaps that next step is you getting involved in a life group. Taking a step forward and and saying, you know what? I've got issues. Well, here's the beauty of being in a life group. You find out everybody's got issues. It's awesome. We're all messed up. And God still moves in our lives. And these next two are very uncomfortable. Perhaps the next step for you is stepping up financially. Generosity. It's something that God keeps prompting you and saying, listen, I'm providing for you, I'm providing for you, I'm providing for you. Yet we, instead of, instead of being generous, we, we want to take more and more and more and keep it more for ourselves. I invite you to take a step. To all of a sudden, give more. Because God does amazing things there. And then this last one. I believe, is the one that makes everybody uncomfortable. And it's this. Sharing one's faith with a friend who's a non-believer. You've been praying for your friend over and over and over again. You've been praying for an opportunity, and yet you're uncomfortable. You don't know what to do. 
Well, I want to invite you to write down the following date on your notes or, or put it in your mind. On April 23rd, we're going to start a new class. I'm going to be leading a class on sharing your faith with your friends. Start on April 23rd. I know that's a couple months or a few months away, but, but just put it in there and we're going to talk about how do we go about doing this. And believe it or not, I understand that. I get very uncomfortable with it as well. So be praying as you deal with this uncomfortableness that God would give you comfort and remind you that he's with you. But we're not done. The adventure means being uncomfortable, but then the adventure also means breaking down barriers that you didn't think could ever be broken down. Chapter 6, verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one, no one went out and no one came in. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Let's stop right there. Wait a second, God. It's secured. You've delivered them. Look at what it says. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It's right here. Doesn't look like it's been delivered. But God is with them and God is saying, listen, it's yours. It's yours. You've never been this way before, but I am with you. And there's no getting around the difficulties that, the, that face the Israelites as they prepared to take this next step. And for many of us, there's no getting around the difficulties that we look at as God says, I need you to go forward with this. God's people are taking on a secured city. Not some bunch of not not a bunch of little tents on the ground. They're taking on a secured city. This wasn't going to be an easy task for them. And so it's going to involve everything. And so they have to get ready for this. They have to have this incredible strategy. They have to uh, muster up all their ammunition and all their arms and all this kind of stuff because this is going to be difficult and we've got to have a strategy. Well, here's the strategy. Verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Let's get this right. We're taking on a secured city. And you want us to walk around the city. You and I know what happens to Jericho. But the people at that time had no clue. As you read through Joshua, he's putting together strategy after strategy after strategy because we're, we're going into the promised land. It's going to involve all types of, of strategery. It needs to happen. And God says, your strategy is to walk around the city. Jericho, it was believed, was half a mile in circumference. And so it wouldn't take them long to walk around. And as they walk around, on the seventh day, they're to walk around it seven times. And the trumpets will sound, and they are to yell, and we know what happens. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on the day, on this day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for Yahweh has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to Yahweh. 
Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron and sacred to Yahweh must go in to the treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. God has a way of breaking down the barrier that said we've always done it this way before. They knew how to battle, and God says we're going differently. And now we come to this place where it's not easy. And I'm going to take a few moments to talk about this because it needs to be talked about. Chapter 6, verse 21 says this. They, devo- they, de- they devoted the city to Yahweh and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. It's tempting to just gloss over this verse. It's tempting because this isn't easy. It's not easy because women, children, are gone. And as I was working on the message, and a friend of mine, um, a pastor friend of mine in the city, when I told him what I was preaching on, he laughed at me and he said, have fun with verse 21. I made a commitment when I answered the call to being a pastor, that I would do my part to communicate the entire Word of God. And as I come to this verse, I need to confess something to you. I get sad. I get sad because this is brutal. I get sad because it makes me uneasy. But it's there. And this one verse is a verse that skeptics and non-believers look at and say, you want to tell me that God cares? There's far more in this passage than we can talk about in these few moments here. But we need to talk about it. The Canaanite people, the Canaanite people were far more wicked than any of us could ever imagine. They worshipped other gods. They degraded one another. They had no regard for the sanctity of humanity. And to top all of it off, they sacrificed their children all the time. Well, isn't all sin, sin? 
Yes. Yes, it is. Well, if all sin is sin, John, then I'm no better than these people. Correct. We have a holy God. We have a holy God that cannot, cannot leave sin unpunished. We have a God who loves. We have a God who's good. But I need to tell you something else. And I need to tell you something else. This God we also have is judge. This God we also have is righteous. This God we also have is powerful. Canaanites experience God's judgment. There's no getting around that. And there are consequences to our actions. There just are. We live in a society that pretty much doesn't want the word sin ever mentioned. We live in a society that says that anything goes and everything goes. but yet there are consequences. There will be a time when all is said and done that judgment happens. Scripture speaks to that. For those who know Jesus Christ, He's taken on the judgment for us. And He says, you're forgiven. For those that do not know Jesus Christ, there's judgment. I'm talking with my mentor yesterday on the phone. I brought this passage up. And in the process of the conversation, I said, this isn't easy to talk about. He says, you're exactly right, it's not. He says, but yet, can there be, can there be in the midst of this message a greater understanding for you and the church you serve to get out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who don't know Him. I said, you're exactly right. This isn't easy, folks. And we can't gloss over it. So my prayer for you and for all of us is that when we come to these passages, we would know, yes, they're there, but we would also keep this in mind and want you to realize something. That Jesus Christ has come. That Jesus Christ has come to bring us life in the adventure.
that Jesus Christ has moved in such a way that this judgment that the Canaanites faced, He's paid the price. He's the one that made the move from paradise to earth. He's the one who responds to bring the Father glory. He's the one who makes the comfortable uncomfortable. He's the one who breaks down the barriers so that we can have life. He's the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And He invites all of us to the greatest adventure we could ever experience. And there are people in all of our lives that need to know Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 21 of Joshua is not easy. But yet, we know this to be true, that Jesus Christ has come. And we can share the hope of Jesus Christ with people and say, He wants to lead you on the greatest adventure of your life. I wish verse 21 wasn't there. But it is. And even though verse 21 is there, I know this, that Jesus Christ has overcome. And He invites us to share that great news with all that we meet. Father, we pray now pray now as we wrestle with what the adventure is all about. And we pray now as we wrestle with this verse. We would ask that Your Holy Spirit would remind us, would deepen our appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done for us and for those who choose to say yes to Him. Father, forgive me for being nonchalant at times about the judgment. And forgive me for forgetting that Jesus Christ has paid the price and offers that forgiveness that all of us desperately need. So Lord, in the midst of this stillness in this room right now, I would ask that You would remind us of how great You are, how holy You are, how righteous You are, and that we desperately need Jesus Christ. Lord, for those in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, I would pray that You would move in a way that they say yes to You, say yes to Jesus, and the forgiveness and the life and the joy that He brings. You do the work, Holy Spirit. And for those of us that have placed our trust in Christ, may we have a deeper appreciation for what Christ has done to set us free. That He took on the judgment that we each deserve. 
May we never forget that. And may we grow in appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done. Lord, as we get ready to sing a couple of songs, I pray that you would move in our midst and that you would help us respond to you with adoration and praise and deep, deep appreciation for who you are and for the amazing adventure you've invited us to participate in by leading us to places we've never been before and paying the price to set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. It's going to take a few moments for the, for the worship team to get ready. And as you stand, I invite you to stand in silence and reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us to set us free, to break down barriers, to walk us through those times of being uncomfortable, and more than anything else, to set us on a life of an adventure that is unlike any other. May we sing these words with great passion this morning.